Hey, everybody, welcome to another edition of Guys Beer Sports. Hey, my name is Sean Valancourt, coming out here from the east coast of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I believe the center of the universe, many don't. And my co host, as always, Mr. Brad Tesh. Coming out there from Whitby Island, Washington, the Pacific Northwest. Hey, how are you, Mr. Brad? I'm doing well, Sean. How are you? I am excellent. Our very special guest. The center of the universe is wherever you are, Sean. That's the center of the universe. I love it. I love it. My good, good guest is a author, sports writer, your co-host of uh, Yes Guy there with Jim Taddy as well, Mr. Perry Lefko. Hello. How you doing? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, Thanks for being here. It, it's, it's, it's an honor. Um, Perry, we only talked that one time there on uh, Yes Guy. You asked me what my favorite beer was. And mm-hmm. uh, that was the only conversation that we've had. I think we agreed on. Did we not agree? Because I told you I'm a Guinness guy all the way. I think if memory serves correct. You agreed with me. I, I did. I am, I am a dark lager guy. I know Brad's a dark lager guy. He loves a good porter. So I mean, uh, we're all we're all in the same thing right now. Though I'm not drinking any beer for this month and next month. Just trying to trying to keep it trim, you know. Get back down to some fighting shape here. Okay. Christmas Don't takes you know. It takes you. A, well, he's, yeah, he's it, trapped. Barry. He's got a rough situation going. He's <laughs> eating low carb bread and peas for dinner. <laughs> If you're getting into fighting shape, you don't want to be drinking beer, okay? So I applaud you. For whatever reason is, go ahead. That's it. Oh, Perry, uh, I just wanted to bring up, I read your book this weekend here. Um, I know this is uh, a book that came out, I believe, in 2019 uh, on the great Eddie Olchek, uh, Beating the Odds in Hockey and in Life. Uh, It's funny. I thought I knew Eddie Olchek, like, as far as I remember he played, I remember he was a Leaf. I remember he won a cup of the Rangers. I remember him pretty dynamic person. And then he was the voice of NHL on uh, NBC there, the NBC Sports Network, working with the mm-hmm. legendary Doc, Doc Emmerich there and was on like uh, countless EA Sports, NHL, uh, I believe all the way up to till 20 as the voice of commentator with Doc Emmerich there on those games. And uh, it was amazing reading in this book that his, his whole entire um, battle against colon cancer, this, that, that floored me when I was reading about how we found out with a phone call, just waiting for a phone call from a checkup because it's, you know, he was just not, he wasn't having a regular movement. Uh, and, and just knowing his body, right? Mm-hmm. But then from there, I felt like I'm literally sitting there listening to a man tell a story on his, in his living room, you know, like it was just mm-hmm. easy and flowing. Tell me how the process was for you doing this. Um, Eddie and I had talked about doing a book once before because when he was playing for the Leafs, he was into horses. He had horses with Gary Lehman and I was covering thoroughbred racing for the sun. So we knew each other. We had talked about doing a book a few years, a few years earlier and uh, it just, it didn't work. Right. It just, there was something that was missing. So, you know, I was talking to him when he was going through his cancer battle. I had written some articles uh, for industry publications. And when he was cancer free, I called him up again. And I said, do you want to try doing the book again? And he says, yeah, you know, me and my wife, we really want to do it because we want to, we want to get the message out there about what I went through and to help others in any form of cancer, not necessarily colon cancer. So um, yeah, it was just, he was really committed to the project. And the main thing is when I'm doing a book, if I'm really committed because I'm doing the project, I want the person I'm working with to be equally, you know, uh, committed or just excited or, or, ready to do what needs to be done. It's a lot of work. And I always tell these people when they get into it, like you're only going to truly appreciate what we're doing when you see the finished product, that book in your hand, because it'll make a lot of sense. Because between then 
we're just talking, we're writing stuff, it's on computers and it, it, it's hard for them to understand what is gonna be the end result. And I know it because I've been through it so many times. So yeah, when Eddie got the book, he was really you know excited about it, right? You know, he read everything. Um, he didn't read the last chapter, which for people that haven't read the book, uh, all four of his kids wrote how they were affected by him and what, what they were going through. And I helped two of the, the kids write their, um, I say kids, they're adults, right? But I helped them to write, you know, their chapters and the other two wrote it on their own. And Eddie said, it wasn't until after the book was done that he started to read that because he knew it was really going to get to him. He's a very emotional guy. And it did. And that was uh, his wife, Diana, made that suggestion. We should get the kids somehow involved in the book. So it was something I'd never done before. And I think um, probably that chapter more than anything else really would help people to understand what the caregivers and the caretakers are going through, the family members, because it's not just the person who is you know, going through the cancer battle. It's everybody around them, right? And all four of them really... It was like all four of them were looking at a painting, but they were they were interpreting it in different ways because none of the four stories were the same. So I'm 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 reading about that, and just the one chapter even beforehand there with Diana having to get in his face basically during the treatments because he was just yeah. feeling a little bit down on himself. And uh, I mean, you know, I think anybody that is married to a strong woman who will make you better. Cause you know what they say, every successful man, there's a strong woman. There's a great woman mm-hmm. behind them. And uh, you would never think, you know, Eddie Olchek played all those seasons. The NHL is there feeling down about it and just showing that human connection with your spouse and your spouse getting you up and going, you know, and it, it just, just to see, like, you could tell he loves his wife. You could tell that he's gone through some things there. Like to be traded from Toronto to Winnipeg while she's giving while birth. his wife's going through labor. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh! Like I'd be livid, livid. I don't even know how they got through that. And just for him to say that, it's it's, it's the business, you know. Mm-hmm. But that that hit me reading that about his kids and. Just this week, when I was reading this whole entire book, I've, I've had my, my father passed away with, from breast cancer. And uh, I've had a good friend who's been battling cancer really on and off for the past 20 years. And he finally succumbed to it uh, this past Sunday morning. But when I was reading it, I was thinking about them and just thinking about here's Eddie Olchek representing himself. Not just I'm Eddie Olchek the horse race guy, Eddie Olchek, the, the, the hockey player, Eddie Olchek, the, the, the broadcaster, but I'm Eddie Olchek, the cancer survivor. How did that move you when you were writing in this? Because I could tell you were probably feeling some ways in this. I'll just, I'll, you mentioned about your father. I had a sister. She lost a battle to leukemia. It was like 13 months. She was only 22. So I'm, I was impacted then and forevermore about what cancer and, and how it, how it, again, it just doesn't impact the person who's going through it. It impacts everybody around them. And, you know, I, I think about my sister every day. There isn't, isn't a day that I don't think about her and wonder what would have been, what would her life have been like? What would my life, what, what were my parents? It was a, it was a very traumatic thing that happened. And, and while it was happening, you you don't really completely understand it. And it's only through the passage of time, maybe I could look at it and try to rationalize it. You know, that was God's will. And if that's, that's, there's nothing I could do about it. Right. It hasn't impacted my, you know, my uh, faith, but it, I've done another book that was cancer related with Sandra Schmerler, you know, the great curler who, nice. who died of, of cancer and it was, didn't even know what the cancer was, but I've always been very particular to stories about cancer because of what happened to my sister and I'm you know I dedicated my first book to my sister I always want people to know that that I've been through it right and that's my sister was really important to me just as your father was important to you and Diana was was Diana's a, like a small lady like she may be about five two or five three but she was extremely strong and like Eddie's like six one she was like six one in, in this metaphorically in terms of how she handled this. And yeah, after Eddie's first treatment, 
<laughs> he said, that's it. I don't want to do it anymore because of all the physical things that it does to you. Right. I remember what it did to my sister and I, I just, I felt so helpless. Right. So Diana just said, you know, do it for me, do it for the kids, do it for the people who love you, do it for your friends. And basically that's was the pep talk. And he just used that as inspiration going forward. So he just tried to, you know, for the 12 week process of the 12 different treatments, you know, just look at it one at a time instead of looking at it's 12, just go number two, number three and move along. And uh, he, you know, he did a very good job of, of, of describing what he went through. And you asked me what it was like for me. Well, I've known Eddie a long time. And once we started getting into the book, I kind of understand, okay, here's how we're going to do it. And you're right. When you're doing it, his voice, it's like, he's talking to you. But to really understand the whole process about how we dealt with cancer, I think maybe just having somewhat of an insight about what cancer is and, and how it affects everybody around the person who's going through it, that helped me, um, that helped me to write that aspect of the book. And just having you know, written other types of books, I kind of know the process about writing a book, but every book to me is different. It's like probably an actor would say every movie they do is different. They're not the same. Yeah, it's art, right? Well, you're talking it's hard for me to write the book or, or it's just well, it's, it's art. I guess it's art is what I was saying. No, it's hard. It's, 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 art, I, it's you know? so everything is different. Every painting is different. Every, you know. Yeah, I mean, it is, different. it is it is a form of art, but it's not art is if you look at it from the visual point of view, you're looking at something, you're seeing something here, yeah. you're reading something. And then you have to sort of think in your mind the scene. But um yeah, well, you know, I guess that's what it is for me. Books are art because I can visualize whatever the writer is writing. And so for me, mm -hmm. that's the beauty of a book is understanding that point. I lost my grandfather to cancer, uh, you know, 15 years ago now. And I, I, not a day goes by that I'm not impacted that way. My grandma on my mom's side died when I was six and it's the same thing. This is something that always sticks with you. And so I think, you know, it's probably unique uh, in that your experience led you to put those words down in such a way that, made sense to you as a survivor, um, you know, of going through that. Cause I, what you said just resonated with me is you don't realize in the moment, um, maybe how difficult that is, how difficult cancer can be uh, on everyone. And then it's only later on when you're like, man, those were some real special moments when it was real trying and when it was real dark, uh, you mm -hmm. know, love really shines through and that you really take that with you. And so, um, I imagine that that shows up well. I think maybe I could identify like without trying to get too emotional because I probably will. You know, I, I love my sister. Right. Yeah. And there were things that happened to us during those 13 months, like very special things. And, you know, my parents had bought her a car and she said, OK, you'll get the car. I said, I don't want the car. I want you. Right. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know and found out afterwards that when they first diagnosed her, diagnosed her with leukemia. It was the worst form of leukemia. She had no shot, right? Yeah. She went through two uh, treatments. And first time she was cancer-free, the second time she wasn't. Just after that, she said, I don't want to do it anymore. I just want to live the rest of my life with the time I have left because it was just too physically, it was terrible, right? So yeah. like, yeah, yeah for what you yeah. went through, what you went through, you know, what, what Sean went through, anybody that goes through cancer, I'm not necessarily talking you, the person, you feel so helpless. You want to help. Yeah. I mean, I, there were so many things I tried to do to help her out and it just, yeah. just didn't work. Yeah. There's, there's two, I've been on both sides of, uh, of death. I've, I've been on the phone call that someone's gone and I've been on the, you know, the, uh, the cancer side where, you know, it's a couple months drawn out. Um, and I'll tell you, there's real beauty in being able to process that happening in front of you that you're grateful for later, but it hurts so bad in the moment, but the grieving process is better. You know, it really becomes a gift of sorts. And so, uh, I suppose always... so. maybe the only thing I'll say is, um, the people who go through cancer to me are, are they're my heroes. Yeah. I, I don't get, I don't look at athletes as heroes. I don't look at actors as being heroes. They're just yeah. people. Right. Yeah. You know, but let's like everyday person goes through cancer and then yeah. people may not even appreciate who they are, what they are. There's just some person that died, but say it's a famous actor that dies of cancer. Like everybody knows about that. Right. And again, 
I just, I empathize and I sympathize. My heart goes out to, to anybody that's going through cancer because they are the heroes. They're yeah. the ones, they're the ones that, they're the, they're the ones that display courage. And a lot of times people don't even know that. Yeah, yeah it is. I'm, my, my friend Annie's going through it right now. Uh, you know, she had a, she shaved her head and we had a big party for her to shave her head. And then my son shaved his head and I shaved, like we all and shaved that's, our that's heads. Incredible. Yeah. That's and incredible. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We all have t-shirts made and we've got yard signs and it's all just for Annie and she's still fighting her battle. And she's, you know, she's one of the brightest people that you'll ever meet. You wouldn't know she's struggling through those things, but yeah, you know, she's awesome. But she's a hero to me because she doesn't let that thing slow her down. And I'm sure your sister was that way. Sean's dad was that way. My grandpa was that way. All these survivors that we know, you know, like it's uh, what Stuart Scott said, right? Cancer doesn't kill you. You know, it, it doesn't beat you. It is. You got to go home. So that's, yeah, that's it's not. I just want to like my sister lost her battle. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't the cancer that killed her. It was all the drugs. And, yeah. and at that time, you know, some of these drugs were so new, but again, and the doctor's telling my parents, like, you better prepare for the fact she's going to die. She's not going to live. Right. Yeah. And my mother is like, well, why are you telling me that? Like, what am I supposed to do? You're just, you've just handed me a death sentence for my daughter. Yeah. But, you know, my sister tried, she tried her hardest. It just, it just wasn't meant to be. And maybe somebody, you know, this, I was in 1984, you know, how many years later, like people now, I think with the advancement of, of medication and medication to treat cancer, they'd have a better shot of beating it. It's just, like I said, it, you know, to me, it was like a part, a part of, of my family literally died at that moment. And it was how the, for the rest of our lives, are we going to adjust to it? And yeah, over the course of time, it doesn't hurt as much, but it's always the memory. And I, I, I feel good. And I think you and Sean would feel good that, you know, the people that you've lost that you keep their memory alive. And yeah. when people say, I remember your sister, I say, that's great. You know, all these years later, like you still yeah. remember, thank you for saying that. And, you know, some people may think, I, I don't know what to say. Right. And Eddie said that in the book, just make a call text yeah. somebody, just tell them you're thinking about it. It doesn't have to yeah. be long. And because yeah, yeah. that, that is as important as the medicine, because that provides hope in the understanding that somebody cares about me, somebody loves me. Right. And he said, yeah, when he knew other people were going through cancer, he made sure he sent them a note just to say, Hey, I'm thinking about you. And people that he thought uh, were important in his life that didn't, it, it sort of left an impression on him, but you know what? Yeah. That's, that's, it's just, there is no playbook for cancer. Yeah. For the it's person going uh, through it and the people that, like I said, the caregivers and the, and the caretakers. Yeah. My, you know, I guess not in the back of my mind, my, uh, yesterday was the fifth anniversary. My uncle passed away from cancer. He was in, he was 60, I don't know, 68. And my cousin did just said on Facebook, oh, you know, we, we remember uncle Jerry, you know, he was just a light to everybody and, and all those things. And I thought, you know what, we, we talked about that. And like, I think people die twice. There's a time that you die and you cease to exist, but the second time you die is when people stop saying your name. And so yeah. we just try to not save. We just started not let those people's memories fade. We talk about my kids, you know, they know Uncle Jerry and they know my, my, my kids were one only one of my kids was born when my grandpa died. But all mm -hmm. my kids know what Grandpa George was and who he was. And that's very important to me is that that legacy continues to live on because those memories are so sweet that you just mm -hmm. got to push through and just, you know, life life's terrible sometimes. And those are those are very terrible things. And I, I wouldn't wish those things on anybody. The people that go through them or the people that are left behind. But yeah. Uh, you know, you got to take that perspective of like life's life short. You got mm -hmm. to live where you can. I, I love the idea of this texting instead of notes. I think that's a beautiful thing. I, I like um, the fact with Pat Foley's uh, forward to Eddie Olchek about how he called him every day after he got the news and everything like that. And just how important things like that are. Like just being in contact, being able to, you know, share jokes, whatever, in order to lift spirits up. Uh, Perry, this book, yeah, it, it, I couldn't put it down. I could tell that, and now listening to your story as well here with your sister, and then I could see where all that compassion ended up going into that book. If, if anybody hasn't got it yet, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, fantastic book. But this isn't the only book you've written here either there, uh, Perry. Uh, no, just uh, we were talking before, before the interview started, I did a book a year later, and this one is about Nick Kiprios. And Nick Kiprios played with uh, Eddie on the uh, the Rangers team that won uh, the Stanley Cup, 1993. And 
with Eddie, I, you know, we kind of knew we were going to do it with Nick. I'd known Nick before we kind of sort of did a book together. It just didn't work out again. And then I said, I, you know, I think you got a great story. And he's looking at it like, uh, who besides me and my parents and my kids will, will actually care. And I said, Nick, you had a very inspiring career. And then you were in broadcasting for 20 years. You almost got fired after the first year, but you, you persevered. And, uh, that's what I told him. Like your story is, is, is it's, it's inspiring in many ways. It's, it's like Eddie's, except we don't have somebody going through current or going through cancer. In his case, it's just somebody going through life and facing challenges because he, he wasn't supposed to play in the NHL. It wasn't like Eddie. Eddie was supposed to be, Eddie was like drafted third overall in his year. Third that overall. same year, yeah. Eddie didn't even get, Nick didn't even get drafted that year because it was a year later. He started to show his ability, but, I mean, he goes into the NHL and he realizes very quickly, you know, I may have been a you know good goal scorer in, in junior hockey, but I, it's not going to make it. I'm not going to make it in the NHL. So he he decided he was going to have to fight, you know, and um, he played eight seasons, won a Stanley Cup, was really good talking to the media. And he cultivated a, a personality that resonated um, to people, you know, watching on TV or just in the media. I mean, his laugh is it's the greatest thing about him. It just, it's so powerful, right? And it's very natural. So, you know, with Nick, if you could actually hear some of the things he's saying through the words, you would laugh, right? Because that's the way he is. But again, as I said before, Nick's story is completely different than Eddie's, but the common denominator is, I think they're very inspiring books. And every time I I do a book, I try to I try to tackle a book that I feel is inspirational. I never want to do a book that's just got a really sad story because I don't think people want to read however many hours it takes to read a book, to finish the book and go, man, that's, it makes me sad. It makes me sick. Right. I was told a long time ago by somebody that books that are inspirational, those are the books that people want to read because they want to say afterwards. Yeah. Good. You know, I feel good about reading that. And um, so I've always tried to take that position when I'm when I'm uh, doing a book. That's amazing. I mean, I, I remember Nick Kiprios playing in the NHL. And uh, it, it was funny because I always thought that he was really that enforcer role. I did not know that he worked his way into that sort of just, you know, to stay. Because he was better than Ty Domi at scoring. <laughs> I thought so anyways. But Nick, whenever he's on broadcast, whenever he's on Sportsnet and I listen to him talk, I want to hear what he has to say about what's going on in that locker room, maybe potentially what's going on in the hockey game. Like he gives you no, 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 like he doesn't hold back punches when he's giving his analysis there on what's happening. So I can only imagine it would probably be a really fun process in order to write a book with him because he's probably going to just- Well, the one thing that, the one thing that Nick did is when he started on his broadcasting career. And again, he was so terrible after a year he was going to get fired and, you know, won't get into the whole story, but they gave him another year and they just worked with him a bit more. And when Bob McKenzie, who was my boss when I first started in Toronto after working for a summer at London, I worked for Hockey News. Bob was the boss for two and a half years. Great guy, really good guy. So Bob's breaking stories left and right on TSN. And, and Nick says to somebody at Sportsnet, I knew about that. And they said, well, why didn't you tell me? Well, you never asked me to do it. If you want, I can do that all the time. And he became Sportsnet's version of, of Bob McKenzie. And again, Bob McKenzie's trained in the media, or at least he's been in around it long enough. He understands it. So Nick's kind of new to the game, but he's, you know, he's, he's got a lot of people he talks to. So he started breaking a lot of stories. And um, I think that's a big reason why he became a success. Again, doing something that maybe wasn't his comfort level, but he did it. And that made an impression on people around him. Do you feel uh, Perry that sports broadcasting has gotten better with former athletes being a part of it now, because it gives a different level of analysts that maybe we didn't have, you know, 20 years ago. I think it depends on the individual. Like in Nick's case, he took it seriously. He worked at it and you can tell the ones that have worked at it. You know, you mentioned, you know, you know, Ty Domi, he tried it. It didn't work out for a variety of reasons, but Nick worked so hard at it. He became good at it. And that's the difference. There's nothing wrong with having, you know, former athletes uh, transition to broadcasting, but it's not easy. 
you know, and, right. and I do, I do my little show with, with Jim Taddy and Jim's professional, right? You know, if things go wrong. Jim knows how to handle it. I wouldn't know how to do that, but that's, <laughs> you can't rely. And I'm saying this, you know, in a, in a kind of an objective way that you can't rely on what you were. It's what you are now. And if, if yeah. you're not, if you can't succeed as a broadcaster, cause it's, it's not, there's not a comfort level or you, you're not working at it. When people look at it, like, I don't care. He was a great hockey player. He's a terrible announcer and people pay yeah. so much attention to what they see on TV. And, and, and it's, a yeah, in this day of Twitter, somebody will say, you know, that guy's terrible, right? It's that's, that's their way of, of communicating how they think about somebody. And like I said, if, if, if people want to succeed at broadcasting and they're, they're former athletes, well, from what I understand, it's very hard and you got to work at it. Oh yeah. Yeah. We saw that with Tony Romo. I mean, Tony Romo just kind of hit the ground running in the NFL and everyone wanted to be the next Tony thinking it was so easy, but, uh, Jason Witten was a case study oh. in how that was not the yeah. thing. And so many other ones. There's so many terrible uh, former players, but there's some really good ones, I think, too. So it's an interesting yeah. phenomenon. Yeah, like I thought I thought with uh, Tony Romo, I was just thinking that as well. Like he's one of the very few that was able to get on there. And then uh, with his color analysis there, he was telling you what the play was going to be before the play happens. I was just like, wow. <laughs> so I you and there's know, a guy so you've got a guy who was an elite quarterback and the quarterback understands everything that's going on around him you know yeah. so he's 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 looking at it like it's coverage right okay this is what they're doing right this is what they're going to do because that's what that's what he went through so I don't think that um yeah Tony Romo was an anomaly in terms of how quickly he made that adjustment when you talk about you know, Jason Witten, who clearly didn't want to do it and probably wasn't even ready to, to retire because he went back to playing in, right? And realizes, okay, this, this isn't easy being a broadcaster. I want to go back to football, which some people may think is hard, but I'm, I'm comfortable doing it. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was fun. And, you know, he gained that reputation very quickly as being able to say, here's what they're going to do. Cause to, and uh, it probably wasn't a lot of people like that. There isn't a lot of people like that, certainly when it comes to the NFL. So that's that's his skill. That's his uh, brilliance. And that's, um, you know, that's he's done very well. Yeah, sorry. I was ordering your book on Eddie. I, I got to read it now that uh, we've been talking about it. So I was a bit sorry. Oh, I didn't want to forget. So. I always I, tell uh, people, like, I promote, I promote that book a lot. And things I did with that book when it first came out. I would walk around with a copy and, and just see somebody I know and say, Hey, can you take a picture with, you know, with the book? Right. Yeah. And I got some pretty high profile people doing it. Um, and it worked, right. You know, yeah. I, it was, to me, it was funny at times. Right. But um, you know, yeah. it, it, that's, that was my own, my own version of self-promotion. And I always yeah. tell people like, if you're going to do a book, you have to understand that you're going to care about that book more than anybody else, because it's you. Right. Yeah. So when that book comes out, don't be ashamed to take your book and tell the world about this book you did, because two months later, the publisher may have another book that's coming out and your time is up. Right. You've got that 15 yeah. minutes of fame. But what I tried to do is I just kept trying to tell people I did this book and it really means a lot to me because it's about somebody I know and somebody went through cancer. And um I, I continue to do it today. Well, you you sold me book. on it. I, I broke my own rule of buying a book that wasn't available on Amazon Prime. So I'm going to wait for eight days for it to get here. So you did a good job. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I didn't do that. I didn't do that with next book because there's yeah. a different publisher and they had yeah. different things right. that, that they wanted to do in terms of being yeah, heavily yeah. involved in the promotion. And fortunately, Nick's book came out around COVID and he didn't have a chance to, to do like this. Yeah. A lot of you know, cr across the country and do like, you know, book signings and this, and that was unfortunate, but that's, that's the book business in a whole. As yeah. I tell people, it's not an exact science, no matter how much you think, you know, about the business, something's going to happen. Even for people who've been writing books like me for like, you know, for like almost 25 years, yeah. it happens, right? I, yeah. All right. Before we let you go, Perry, give me your picks for the AFC and the NFC championship games. Well, I guess I could, I'm all over the Chiefs. I've been all over the Chiefs the whole year. When we do the Yes Guy show, Jim keeps saying, what about the Buffalo Bills? Are you on the bandwagon? I said, Jim, how many weeks do I got to tell you that I'm on the Chiefs bandwagon? I never got off it, right? 
they 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 had they were going through some tough times early in the season, but then they started to develop what I would call the same mentality as they had when they were the Super Bowl champions. And Patrick Mahomes, he's got eyes in front, eyes in back, eyes at the side of his. What an incredible athlete! So, I mean, his some of the throws that he does, it's incredible. You know, the launch angles are underhand, sideways, whatever. What an incredible athlete. So I'm not getting off the Chiefs bandwagon and, you know, between San Francisco and Los Angeles. Is that what we're talking about right now? Right? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Los Angeles. Uh, it doesn't really Benning matter game. to me. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. doesn't matter to me because yeah. Kansas City is a team that's been there so many times before. They're like the Buffalo Bills, except they actually did win, right? And they're, they're that, <laughs> that same type of, you know, they, they, um, when you've got a guy like Patrick Mahomes, who's that, that athletic ability is beyond anything. And I think Josh Allen, it's unfortunate because of that stupid rule in the NFL that, you know, whoever wins the coin toss, if they get a touchdown, well, that's it. The other team doesn't get a chance. It just makes no sense to me. It should be that. The person, the team that wins the, the coin toss, if they get a touchdown, well, the other team gets a chance to see if they can get a touchdown. If they don't, it's the end of the game. But to see Josh Allen sitting there with helmet on and uh, he's not getting a chance to go in there in overtime, whatever you think about some of the strategies that were you know, done by the Bills and, you know, the fact that they elected to kick it through the end zone, you know, instead of just squib kicking and, and taking a few seconds off the clock, that was just ridiculous. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that they did to actually beat themselves. But the, the reality is, you know, Patrick Mahomes, 13 seconds, he knew what to do. He knew who to get the ball to, right? Yeah. And, I, I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, they have some mic'd up version of Travis Kelsey on that final drive. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that timeout right before that play where he gets him into field goal range, he goes, hey, I, they're, they're going to play that seam. That thing's open for me. And he was like, okay. And if you, when they go to the line in that final play, they look and they're playing that seam, that seam code. And Mahomes yells out, do it, Kelsey, do it, and then snaps the ball. And Travis Kelsey, that's not the route that that play was designed to run. That was a something yeah. they came up with on the fly. And so, to me, I well, love that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful I football. Book, I wrote a book about Doug Flutie, the things yeah. he did on the field, some of the stuff they call like sandlot football. You just make yep. it up. Guys like that, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, they know each other. They're, yeah. they're a very formidable quarterback, tight end, like Travis Kelsey, maybe the greatest tight end in the history of the NFL. And we're talking about Rob Gronkowski and, Gronkowski. and go on and on. There's been some pretty amazing tight ends. Yeah. Against but, Dallas. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, he's just a, an incredible athlete, right? And yeah, incredible athletes do incredible well, things. From an incredible family. That's the wild thing. You know, Travis Kelsey's brother is, you know, all pro center for the Philadelphia yeah. Eagles. Yeah. So there you go. Right. Bloodlines. But again, to me, it's experience in that moment, that, limited amount of time they were so dialed into one another right yeah. and again buffalo it's the second time they've been stopped by kansas city they need to get to yeah. the next level and you know that's why i said i said to jim how many weeks ago it's gonna have to go through kansas city they're gonna have to go through kansas city you know and i just want to say one thing about about working with jim and it's jim taddy I call Jim the conductor because we do this show every Saturday. I help to line up some of the guests, you know, some of the, some stuff we do together, but when things go wrong in that show, he doesn't panic. Right. And um, it, it's, it's been fun doing that show. You know, this it's called the yes guy show. And we do it every Saturday from noon to one on TSN 1050. And uh, there's a lot of stuff going on that people don't know about and Jim has to, Jim's doing a bunch of these reads and stuff like that. And, and I'm just going there answering his questions, but all the stuff he's doing behind the scenes and I'm at my house, he's at his place. Cause we can't be together at the same place because of COVID. It's amazing how he pulls it off. You should tell him, you should tell him that Sean was mentioning about your 50 year career in yeah. broadcasting. He loves that. Is it 50? I thought it was like 80 or something like that. Well, it's because Sean's almost 50 and we do the line that Jim's been doing broadcasting for longer than Sean's been alive. So then Sean just dug full in on 50 years. So I just want to, I just want to say, I think he's the greatest guy in the world in terms of what we're doing together. But I also want to say he's an old man. Yeah. He's old. That's how I feel about Sean. Well, I'm talking about Jim, but you could talk yeah. about 
with Sean, we can talk about both of them, right? You know, that, uh, I think I think that uh, Jim's Jim's mustache is is older than Sean. Okay, just yeah. oh, that's just, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I love yeah. him. What a great guy. Uh, and Perry, man, I I'm so glad you took the time to do this. Um, I I love to do this again it's in the future at some point there, and. Uh, Oh my goodness. What a great conversation. Seriously. Uh, great conversation. I, I, I appreciate it. And uh, I'm you know, very humbled by some of the things I've been able to do. And the reason I write a lot about sports biographies is because I try to see what other people see looking at these people. And I always say, these people can't see themselves as they are. They're like this, I use this analogy, like a goldfish swimming around and they don't know what they're doing. And, and people are looking at this you know, goldfish and they're fascinated by it. So I said, you don't realize the type of, uh, you don't realize how people look at you. So it's like when Nick says, do you think anybody would care? Yeah, because a lot of people are fascinated by what you've done. So, you know, maybe at some point in my life, I can write a, a book about myself for the three people who care, right? But in the meantime, I'll write about, you know, some people who've, you know, celebrities and sports that have an interesting story. And, you know, hopefully I'll get to do another project, you know, sometime this year, maybe next year, you know, when it's meant to be. The conversation we had with Perry Lefko was so great. We had to put it into two parts. So part two will be coming out next week. Uh, stay tuned. Man, Brad, uh, fantastic guest. Uh, we're, we're, we're absolutely blessed in order to be able to have access to some of these guests here and i'm just glad they come on and uh talk it's it's great yeah Man. thanks to perry that's a big uh thing I, and you know, so i want to say this this is the one thing and you you know this if you listen to the interview but uh there's something special about the mark that um a cancer patient has you know what i mean like going loving someone through cancer and watching them pass away is a special difficult thing um but man there's so many of us right and we just we didn't have that in common going into this but here we all are and so this would say listen if that's you man we love you and we see you and we understand it's difficult uh with that being said don't lose that legacy let's keep talking about it and love each other dude how badly did we get these games wrong how badly i think you did better well, i don't than know me. i didn't even look i didn't even i look. went over four i know that i didn't go I know that like, I don't believe that I did. Let's see, though. I went 0-4. I called the whole thing wrong. I picked uh, Tennessee. We, you and I both picked Tennessee, which, to be fair, we lost on the last play of the game, so that sucks. Uh, I, Kansas City, and you did not go Kansas City. So, uh, yeah, yeah. But again, you lost on the last play of the game, so you have that going for you, right? You're I did call that. I said it. that. Yeah. Almost made it. Uh, we both picked Tampa Bay, which is a bit. Remember, if you remember, I said though, I did say you did. I wanted the Rams to win, but my wallet said Tom Brady, so my okay. heart was happy. My wallet was not. Uh, but again, man, we almost were undefeated there because last play of the game. And we beat San Fran. Yeah. Oh man, how did that go? Wait. Oh, I had the 49ers. You I told did. you what Debo was coming to do, and look what happened. You did. So I you went. Did. I actually ended Dude. up going. Whatever. Listen, uh, listen, two don't... for two. We're going to get it, Sean. I'm, my, I'm heart went, my heart went three and one all in the last play of the game. <laughs> I'm, I'm moving I'm moving that 49ers Green Bay game over here to the side, okay? Because to me, that was not a game. That was a great clinic of coaching by Kyle Shanahan is what that was. We'll get into that. That was not a game. That was not a game. It was, it was a game. Whatever. When you saw Aaron Rodgers had a shot for the first time all year. (laughs) Is that too soon? (laughs) So listen, listen. When you saw that Tampa Bay Rams game, they're up, what, 20 to three or something ridiculous. Do you think that's not enough for the Rams? It's like you're not up by enough. Oh, I almost, I almost texted you. Twenty-seven three is new twenty-eight three. That's right. <laughs> I was there. Like, I wasn't safe. Up. We knew it wasn't. That wasn't safe. We all knew no. it, right? And, and sure enough, Tom Brady at home, twenty-four points is not enough. 
And honestly, the coaching lost that game. It wasn't Tom Brady that lost the game. It's the coach. Bruce Arians, I don't know what he was thinking. Um, I don't know what Todd Bowles was thinking. That was really horrible coverage. I don't know what Byron Leftwich was thinking. I'm getting out of here. I'm about to get <laughs> Going <paid>. to Jacksonville. <laughs> Going to Jacksonville. That's it. It's like, man, um, what a great game that was. Man. It was. Um, and I even thought the Cincinnati-Tennessee game, that was a good game. I mean, Joe Burrow's doing out there. It was a fantastic, it was a fantastic yeah. game. As just pure football, just yeah. pure football, that was probably the best game of the of the weekend. Uh, because both, I don't know both I offenses, both offenses and both defenses played really well. Coaches were making all the right decisions. That yeah, game just came down to be that, right? You're playing Ryan you're about, you a, That thing was won by a rookie kicker at 48 yards. That guy, man, that guy had confidence. That, that interception, that, was... that interception, listen, that interception that Tannehill threw, that guy made a play on that ball. That wasn't a terrible decision. It's terrible no. because it was a pick, but it wasn't a it wasn't a bad throw. The first that guy play made of the game play. was a pick. It was. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Top to bottom, that game that game was won and lost by the players. That game was not. Yeah. You know, I, I think the Kansas City Buffalo game was more entertaining, but that the defenses on that both those teams were terrible. We'll get into that in a second. Yeah, but um, that's my point, though. From a purely football standpoint, yeah, I think that Tennessee Cincinnati was the most entertaining game. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm buying that, but it was definitely something. And that kicker, what's his name? Oh man, McPherson. I don't know. Yeah, McPherson. That guy looked like he stepped into a big old bucket of sass. No, like that guy was just Listen, like, if what he said to Joe, <laughs> if what he said to Joe Burrow is true. Yeah. Right before he walked on the field to kick that thing, that guy's my new legend. Legend. You know. For those that aren't in the know, he was he looked at Joe Burrow and was like, looks like we're on the anti championship game. And then went out and then made the kick to send them to the championship game. That's a set. (laughs) It's something, man. That's that's how legends are made, right there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh okay. Then that Green Bay San Fran game. Listen, Kyle Shanahan won that game. I'm sorry. When you have to sit there and make concessions for your quarterback in order to stay into a game, it's wrong. I'm just happy that Jimmy D threw that pick in the first half. <laughs> Listen, that came down to a team with special teams. You're in Lambeau Field. You're in Lambeau. This is your weather. You have the, like, you drive down it's not the your, first. Your weather, your stadium, your fans, your fill in the first blank. drive. First drive, you go down there. First drive, you go down there and score. Then the fumble there, and then that was it. Like, all of a sudden, the wheels fell off. You can't do another thing. You just get another field goal. That's not enough. That's not and enough. And how high, how high in the air did that block punt go? Wow. <laughs> everyone just stopped. No one even knew where it was. <laughs> no. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that was It's almost like they heard a whistle. I thought they heard a whistle because they all just stopped. It's it's amazing. Like I was just there going to myself, did they just do that? Like this is the way the Green Bay's gonna lose. It's like because Jimmy G they, wasn't when, winning that. <laughs> when San Francisco blocked that field goal uh, at the very last play of the first half, a 49er friend of mine texted me and said, That's the game winning play. Turns out. Yeah, yeah. So we talked about Tampa. So let's get to this Buffalo KC game. So the thing is is that. Casey's kicker had an off night, really, when you think about it. He missed a field goal. He missed an extra point kick. So you think to yourself, it's like, oh, man, like, those points are going to come back and haunt them. But not necessarily so. And I remember telling you last week, the quarterback who had the ball last is the guy that's going to win the game. Like, this is how close this game's going to be. Those quarterbacks put on a show. Back they game. did. Yeah. Can you admit to me now that Josh Allen is at least an elite quarterback, not just some guy is just trying to take it to the next level? He has to take it to the next level. You have to beat KC. If they're they're your Pistons, they're your uh, Patriots. You have to beat them. But Josh had to me no business, and it wasn't to it wasn't to his regular guys. I mean, Cole Beasley did get a Stephon Diggs, in. but Davis. Four touchdown passes. And yes, the defenses look soft on both sides. No Tyron Matthew in the back end. Yeah. 
But what in the world? Davis Buffalo, catching though. the seam routes where, where Tyrant knew where he should be living, right? That's easy. But Buffalo could not get a hand on on uh, Mahomes. Like Mahomes is too greasy, just getting out of there. And then to let uh, Tyree kill a little whatever, you keep him in front of you, and he's spinning off. You're not finishing tackles. Listen, if he spins guy, off you, he's gone. Listen, on that last touchdown he scored in regulation, that guy was still three yards in front of him, and he gave him the peace sign knowing that he couldn't – that guy was not going to catch him before he got the end zone. You know how fast you have to be to do that? <laughs> well, we all know how fast he is. And it's funny. We were all poo-pooing on Casey the first four weeks, and here they are, fourth straight AFC championship game. Probably one of the most memorable NFL playoff games of all time. Like, we'll be talking about that for a long time to come. And we'll be talking about Sean McVay getting outcoached by none other than Andy Reid. You squib kicked that, man. You burned Sean McDermott. time. Sean McDermott. Oh, I said McVay. I meant McDermott. One has uh, hair, Sean... one doesn't. <laughs> Once in the championship game, one isn't. <laughs> oh, man. But Let's move on that, these games this week, Sean. Yeah. So here I am. I'm looking at the AFC championship game. And it's almost anticlimactic because Cincinnati is going into Arrowhead to play KC. And I'm not saying they don't have a chance, but I think maybe the, the fun train's over. I don't know. Didn't uh, Cincinnati win in Kansas City, though, already? They did. They did. But oh, so I guess they Buffalo. beat Kansas City. It was yeah. it was in uh, well, it was in Cincinnati. And that was during the off week, right? Yeah. So, honestly, I mean, yeah, they, they beat them, but so did Buffalo. And that's that's. I just will tell you this. I, Cincinnati's resolve is a little bit better than, man, they, yeah, it was week two. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. The but, schedule's backwards. Know. That was a long time ago. That's when they still start. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> do you think Do you think that they uh, are all stocked up there in Cincinnati, all the players, the Krogers? And... <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. I did laugh because uh, uh, I don't know what game it was. It was someone kicked a field goal through and they had a Kroger <laughs> sign behind it. And I thought, hmm. I think it was in Kansas <laughs> so, City, as a matter of fact. I was like, oh, that bodes well for Cincinnati. <laughs> If you missed last week's show, Brad was saying how Cincinnati might not be super focused because they won a playoff game, first one in 31 years, and that everybody in Cincinnati, that they could not buy groceries in a Kroger's or Aldi's or wherever it is there. And now sure. I'm thinking, well, if, if they, they were bought groceries then, like what are they being bought right now? <laughs> Their fridges have to be stocked full. <laughs> You go to AFC Championship game first touch since 1988. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. This is this is great stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's I'm fantastic. glad to see it. Yeah. I still I think Kansas City wins the game, but I, I hope Cincinnati gives them a fighting shot. Yeah, me too. I, I wanted to be competitive. Then when I think about now the NFC championship game, that one to me is is a little bit more of a uh that's that's a little bit more of a, a fight because again Kyle Shanahan's gonna have to make a game plan that doesn't include Jimmy G winning the game. You know who owns the Los Angeles Rams? The Niners. You know that they own Green Bay in the playoffs as well? It's ridiculous. So Aaron <laughs> Rodgers is 0-4 against the 49ers. That's right. That's right. And I'm looking at it. That was his hometown team. The Rams own the Seahawks, the Seahawks own the Niners, and the Niners own the Rams, and the Cardinals are left out. This is how it works. I'm dead serious. Go look at it. I, I want to say I believe like you. one no. in six in the last seven. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Los Angeles is against the 49ers. And, and, and here I am. I'm just like going to myself. I mean, first off, you said, isn't this going to be amazing that NFC West teams are going to be representing the NFC yeah. Championship? Wait, you called this out right at the beginning of the season. Congratulations on you. Very good. Um... Uh, I'm there, and I'm going to myself. Holy smokes! San Fran could be in the Super Bowl. <laughs> the Rams not... have a chance to play at home in the Super Bowl. We have two home teams in the Super Bowl in back-to-back years for the first time ever, right? Yeah. The Rams are begging their fans to not sell tickets to 49er fans because the 40, it might be a home game for the 49ers in in LA. 
Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. not going to go home. They're going to win that game, and they're going to play in the Super Bowl in two weeks, and they're going to be there again. It's an all-red Super Bowl, my friend. It's going to be a 49er Chiefs Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know it's the other way around it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick. Oh, I'm doing this. <laughs> so, I'm picking Casey. I'm going to go with the Rams. I'm just going to go with them because I'm thinking to myself, listen, Stafford, maybe he's licking his chops now. At some point, Jimmy G is going to do something in order for this whole tired thing to collapse. Because it's just like, this guy is going to go to another Super Bowl? (laughs) This guy. This guy. (laughs) I know. You know how I feel. My hatred for the 49ers is not as much as my hatred for the Rams. The Niners, it is for me. All right, I love it. I love it. We need some. We need some of that parody. Some of that. Uh, not not yeah. that. Some, some of that uh, parallel views. Yeah. Yeah. I just I need you to my... get back on the pick train because right now you're sucking. <laughs> Listen, it was just. I think every pundit got that week wrong. So whatever. Whatever. Every we were I great. Still, the week. I'm 500, buddy. Listen, last week that hurt me. That hurt me a lot, for sure, for sure. But uh, you know, and I think that Josh Allen was what he was—he was something else. He was a class act, man. When he, he said, "Don't else. worry about the," pl-. yeah, he goes, "Don't worry about the playoff overtime rules because if it was in my favor, I'd be celebrating too." Class act. Listen, class you act. can't listen. They didn't change the rule mid-game to help them. No. To complain no. about the rule as a player or a coach is gross because no. you knew what the rule the rule didn't change from kickoff no. until it was over right it wasn't a bad call they didn't get screwed is the rule no. stupid yeah 100 yeah. percent. it should be different yes but it's not so that's just the way it is remember when it used to be remember it used to be you could beat somebody with a field goal remember how terrible yeah. that was i i i have so much more respect for you right now that at least you didn't do the trash talking for the day out well i love you Okay, because I really appreciated that. I, I was really devastated Sunday night. I was just like, this just did not happen. That was happen. a bad one. That was a bad one. Like, this, this did not happen. <laughs> and then even to, even to delay it, they're like reviewing Travis Kelsey's touchdown. I was like, it's a touchdown, guys. Shut up. It's like, I just stopped delaying it. Let's <laughs> see if that ball moves. We didn't know. <laughs> Well, I think this brings us to another end here of Guys Beer Sports. Another beautiful end. Pick it. Call some this week. Tell me you love them. Sean, love you, buddy. Love you too, my man. All right. Until next time, Uh, be good or be good at it. Righto. You've listened to the podcast, but now it's time to visit us in our virtual sports bar. Get all of our info at guysbeersports.com, where you can find all the ways to connect with us. Watch for live conversations with Brad and Sean that happen throughout the week, and join in with your favorite local beer. You can share your thoughts in the conversation comments with your own uploaded videos, or even join us as a guest live commentator. The GBS Virtual Sports Bar is open for business. Come on in, boys and girls.